All right. Yes. Huh? I, I heard that today that the ATF came in and was shutting a lot of them down. I don't know if which ones it affected or whatnot. I, I did hear that they shut the one down at, uh, at Rocky Branch. But there's also another thing. There's some theft going on. So you might want to watch your stuff. Um, they broke into the Rocky Branch store and stole some stuff Sunday and left them a note laughing about their security system. And uh, pretty bold. But uh, you may just kind of be a, a little careful with your stuff. I know it's you think we live in Omaha and you ought not have to do that. And you're right. We ought not have to do it, but we do. And uh, it aggravates me. I've spent my whole life around here. And anyway, let's go to Exodus. We're gonna we're gonna do the last three plagues one way or the other tonight. We'll get get done with this. There's a lot of there's a lot of information in here, and I I hope I don't bore you with it. But when I read these and I see what God's doing. Always try to read them in a, a, the light of how does this affect me today? I, I learned a long time ago, I, I love history, and I like reading the, the Bible in a historical sense, but I also learned a long time ago, whatever God did in history, He still does today. So there is a historical aspect to it, but there's also evidence of what God does and works in people's lives, and I think you'll see this. Uh, we're going to talk about the plague of hail, and I did a little research this morning. How often does it hail in Egypt? And uh, and so it, it gave me some information, and and so I, I kind of fine-tuned it. How often does it hail large hailstones? And they said in Egypt there's somewhere between 6 and 10% chance of you being within a 12 mile radius of, of a, a major hailstone and the hailstone the largest one ever recorded in Egypt was three and a half inches long and two and a half inches wide so about the biggest you fist and stuff that's the biggest one yet we're going to see a, a hailstone a hail storm here that was massive and able to kill. But I also began to look at the, try to figure out the time of the year and, and stuff around there and, and when was this happening. And if you look at the, the latitude uh, of the, where the Nile Delta is and up where most of the people lived, it would be real similar to the Houston area. So if you came across, so you just think about the, the type of weather you have in Houston in, in somewhere around the February time frame. Because we know the, the Passover meal would come at the end of March or the beginning of April depends on the Jewish calendar and, and the way it fails. So I don't know exactly. So somewhere between the end of February and say the end of March is where we're seeing these 
final plagues happen. We're seeing them come close together. Some of the first ones, we don't know how many days were between them. But the closer we get to the end, they become almost every day. One hats, and the next day it stops, and then the day after it starts again with another one because Pharaoh is, is about to break, and, and we actually see that some of his people were beginning to fear God. Verse uh, 18, Behold, about this time tomorrow I will send a heavy hail such as not been seen in Egypt from the day it was founded until now. So that's a warning that, that God's given through Moses and Aaron to Pharaoh. Uh, any of you ever been in a massive hailstorm with hailstones size of softball? Okay. I have. And some of y'all have. When we first moved to Fort Worth and I was in seminary, one hit our house. And I'm trying to call Barbara to warn her it's coming. And I could not even hear her on the phone. I mean, it literally was beating the roof off. And those stones were the size of a softball. Uh, it, it's pretty unreal. The year before at Cinco de Maya, they had actually failed and killed people. So I've seen some large hail, and it's, it's, it's ugly and wicked. Uh, matter of fact, just this past spring, they showed that at Hereford Bull out there around... Uh, Deleon and beating on him, uh, you can see he was looking for a place to go. So it's pretty massive. So anyway, th that's what we're talking about. But God's warning them that this is coming. Why is it coming? Pharaoh's not moving. He's not responding. Uh, is that not typical of the world today? You know, you would think with all the stuff that's going on and the way the world's going, why aren't the churches being, why ain't they beating on the doors wanting in the church to get right? I mean, just this week, we had a 12-year-old boy arguing with his dad. A guy from the Sonic came out to try to break it up. The 12-year-old pulls a AR out and shoots the worker. I mean, he's just trying to keep dad and son apart. And they kill him I, I mean this stuff is going on everywhere they had like 245 mass shootings this year in the united states the value of life is uh just kind of fleeing from us but you'd think people would respond and turn to god but they didn't and pharaoh didn't want to either verse 19 now therefore sin bring your livestock whatever you have in the field to safety Every man and beast that is found in the field and is not brought home when the hail comes down on them will die. All right. If you don't know much about the way they ran livestock back then, it was open it was open grazing. They they just they would have men go out with the sheep and goats or young boys and keep them herded up and keep their herd separated. But they kind of just uh, open range type grazing and they moved them around and do that and, and so the warning's going out if you don't bring them in and put them in some shelter they're going to die and your servant's going to die too 
So this is not going to be a, a plague that just scares you. It's a plague that's going to kill you. All right. This is where we begin to find out that some of the people were quicker than Pharaoh about grasping. Verse 20. The one among the servants of Pharaoh who feared the word of the Lord made their servants and his livestock flee into the houses. So we see some of the servants, some of the people who are hearing this, and even though Pharaoh wasn't responded, they began to. They, they were beginning to see that the God of Israel was a God to be feared. So they began to respond in such a way, and they brought in. But verse 21 said, But he who paid no regard to the word of the Lord left his servants and his livestock in the field. So what happened to them? They died. There was no place to run, no place to hide. And it came because uh, God was about to bring this hailstorm the very next day. So verse 22, it says, The Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand toward the sky, that the hail may fall on all the land of Egypt, on man and on the beast, and on every plant of the field throughout the land of Egypt. The key part here is Moses was the physical symbol of when that time was coming. He didn't know until God spoke to him. And when he spoke to him, he was to raise up his staff to the sky so that those people watching him will know this is not a coincidence. That it literally was hinging off what Moses was going to do and Moses was determining by following the Spirit of God and him doing that. And so it's important for us to understand when people try to write some of this off, is well, it's just coincidence. Well, first of all, our forecasters today, with all the technology and all they have, can only be right about 50% of the time. And that's just on rain. They can predict that it might hail, and they can almost guess somewhere about where it is, but they can't tell you what size it's going to be. And yet, God's telling them what size, what's going to happen, and when it's going to do it. So is this not a miracle? This is a yes and this is a no, you know. Do you see God making a point? Do you believe this happened? Okay. You and two more are almost, you know, why it's the rest of the world can't understand this? That's a good question. I can't explain why. I, I, I believe in verse 23, he stretched out his staff towards the sky. The Lord sent the thunder, the hail, and fire ran down. What's the fire? The lightning. I mean, this is a typical major thunderstorm just like we see in East Texas. Lightning shooting down, ground to air cloud lightning shooting everywhere. Hail is formed by what? it's ice but what's it for the wind circulating pushing the water back up and down until it gets heavy enough so this is a pretty major thunderstorm because there's a lot of updraft in it to bring it up and this, this is a severe storm that I'm going to say the clouds were there but when Moses raised the staff it got serious right quick and it began to do that you know 
It takes time for these storms to develop, but not when God's orchestrating it. Because as soon as He did it, it began to it began to do it, and, and and so we began to see that. So we got the lightning, we got the thunder, and we got this major hail coming down, and and the Lord rained hail on the land of Egypt. How long does most hailstorms last? Five, ten minutes, fifteen, and maybe at the most. I've seen, I've been in some in Fort. There's a strip out there around Fort where they just God loves to hail on that, uh, and they need it most of the time. But you know, I've never been in one for more than ten or fifteen minutes. You'd think it's an hour, but it's a major. Look how long this one lasts. And there was hail and fire flashing continually in the midst of the hail. Very severe, such that it had not been seen in the land of Egypt since it became a nation. And the hail struck all that was in the field through the land of Egypt, both man and beast. And the hail also struck every plant of the field and shattered every tree of the field. Only in the land of Goshen, where the sons of Israel were, there was no hail. Look, verse 27. Then Pharaoh sent for Moses and Aaron and said to them, I have sinned this time. Uh, the Lord is the righteous one, and I and my people are the wicked ones. He asked him to make supplication, verse 28, to the Lord. For there has been enough of God's thunder and hail, and I will let you go, and you shall stay no longer. And Moses said, as soon as I go out of the city, I will spread out my hands. So just by reading this, we can determine this, this hailstorm going on for a while because First of all, Pharaoh had to get enough of it. Then he had to send for Moses. Moses had to show up. They had to have their meeting. And then Moses said, now I'm going to go out. And when I go out of the city, it's going to stop. How long would it take? More than 10 or 15 minutes. When you look at a hailstorm, it strips the trees bare. It strips everything. It beats things to the ground. It's fearful. I, I can just imagine them in, in, in their, their old adobe houses and the flat roofs, what it sounded like and the damage it was doing and, and stuff. And, and so it's, it's got, finally got Pharaoh shook up. And he said, I'm going to let you go. Wrong. Verse 30, but as for you and your servants, I know that you uh, do not yet, that's what it, Moses tells that you don't fear the Lord. He, he already knows that Pharaoh's lying. And sure enough, later on, if you go on through the rest of this chapter, he didn't let them go. He begins to negotiate and say, well, I'll let some of you people go. I'll let the men go. No, you, you're not. As soon as things got better, Pharaoh changes his whole mind. Said all he wanted was for it to stop. Isn't that typical of a lot of people? God just get me. You know, there's probably more prayers lifted up during a, a severe storm than any other time. People that would never pray are all of a sudden praying. It's like, really? 
a good time to start, but it's sure. Do you, do we keep praying after? Do we get? Are we thankful when God brings us through there? Do we rejoice? Even if it's not a physical storm, what about the storms of life? But why do people want to wait to that time to talk to God? That's another question I wish I could answer. I like talking to Him early every morning. And I every morning when I wake up, I, the very least, I tell Him good morning. And I like to visit with him, especially about four thirty, five o'clock in the morning. I know it's not real busy right then at that time. He's got plenty of time for me. Uh, I just lay there and I talk to the Lord. And then I try to get up here and have a time about 9 o'clock. I'm not always very good at that. But, and stuff, but, but I want my time with my father. And then I talk to him while I'm driving, while I'm doing a tractor work. I, I just, all the time. Because I want to talk with him. Because old Ronald Stringer used to tell us a, a poem about old Jake. And I, I can't repeat it or, or the way, it, I mean, it's not dirty, but it's, I just don't, I'm not good with poetry. But the story kind of goes like this, that old Jake, was caught out in a blizzard and began his old truck wouldn't crank and he began praying for God to crank his truck and then he never did crank and he froze to death and when he got to up there in front of the Lord and he stood there and uh, he said God I was praying and crying out for you to crank my truck so I wouldn't die and said one of the angels jumped up and said you're the one Said, what do you mean you're the ones? Said, we not heard from you in so long. We cranked a truck in North Dakota. <laughs> you know, and it's a it's a funny story because how true is that that people you know, and God never hears their voice until all of a sudden there's a big need. But anyway, we ought to pray and seek God's face. God's not through with Egypt yet. He's got to work on it. We're going to send some locusts. How many of you have seen that on TV? Locusts. What kind of weather does it take for, for grasshoppers to survive? Dry weather. So it's got to be real dry so that they can grow and consume. So somewhere to the east of Egypt during this time, God was already in the process of raising a crop of grasshopper. And after the hell had beat everything to the ground, I don't know what in the world they're fixing to eat. Because it's all laid out on the ground. But whatever's there, they're fixing to come eat the rest of it. Because that's that next plague. That's the eighth plague right here is that locusts blow in from the east and they consume whatever's left. I'm thinking, this already looks pretty rough. Every place but Goshen, where the Israelites were. And they come in and they cry out to Moses again. Now these locusts are everywhere. I learned about locusts when I was living out Weatherford. 
I've seen them around here pretty bad. But folks, you ain't never seen anything till you get out there in west of Fort Worth. Those rascals go to eat. They get so hungry, they eat bull nettles. I was given a picture of a bull nettle about this tall. On that bull nettle, I forget exactly how many grasshoppers was on that one, but I counted them one time, and it was somewhere between 35 and 50 grasshoppers on one bull nettle. It didn't have much of a chance. Now, folks, anything to eat a bull nettle? Hungry. I, I just can't imagine the whole ground being covered with these locusts eating everything around and being in your house and in your bed and stuff. I mean, you, you know, the local candy maker was probably just frying them up as quick as he could, putting chocolate on them to sell them. But uh, they were everywhere. Pharaoh said, uh-uh, get them out of here. I want them to go. I, I've learned my lesson. I'm going to let your men go. This is what he's, I'm summarizing all this chapter here. He said, I'm going to let your men go. Moses, uh-uh, we're going to take our women and children and the babies and the livestock. Uh-uh, no, we ain't neither. You're not going to let them. He's trying to put stipulations on them. Um, verse 7 right there, Pharaoh's servants was telling him, how long is this? will this man be a snare to let let the men go. They said, get them out of here. Can't you see they destroy in Egypt? Everybody's recognizing this but Pharaoh. So he didn't let them go. They couldn't come to an agreement. He's wanting to negotiate. And Moses said, no, this is not. Then comes the darkness. To me, this is probably one of the most fearful things to be in the midst of darkness. And I'm not talking about a moon, a, a night with moon. I'm talking about total darkness. I was in a cave one time when they cut the lights off. Now, folks, I could put my hand right here and, and you literally could not see anything. And yet they spent three days in total darkness of not being able to see. Not even in their houses. But the Israelites could. In Goshen, being spared three days, unable to move, you know, and unable to do anything. After all this that you've seen, surely this would rouse Pharaoh up to uh, let him go, wouldn't it? No. One more time. He refuses to let all of them go. And then he tells Moses in chapter 11, he said, the next time I see you, I'll kill you. Don't come back. And Moses looks at him and he said, that's right, I'll never see your face again. Because on this night, your firstborn's going to die. This is where we come to the Passover. We come to this last plague that the firstborn of every household will die unless something is on the doorpost. What was that? The blood of what? The lamb. Unless he sees the blood of the lamb, the sacrificial lamb, death will destroy the firstborn of that household. 
New Testament, New Testament reference. What's that re reference to? Huh? Y'all know it. Say it, Jesus. Huh? The reason we know where Vicky's at, because the blood of the Lamb and her acceptance of the Him as her sacrifice and her atonement for her sins and her Savior, the blood of the Lamb. When you stand before God, you don't stand in your righteousness. You stand in the blood. The blood is what makes you righteous. And I want to say that because too many people want to get right with God before they commit to God. The instructions right here was put blood on the doorpost and anybody that entered in, anybody that enters into that house, death will pass you by that day. You don't have to do anything but enter in to this relationship. And if you do that, you will be saved. No restrictions, no special people. Anybody could do this. To me, that's very important because that's salvation. Anybody that chooses to accept Jesus Christ as their Savior will be saved. But you've got to choose to make that decision. It doesn't matter what you've done how bad you were or how good you were. Folks, the best person in the world that has never done hardly anything wrong will be doomed to hell just like a mass murderer if they're not washed in the blood. You say, well, that's not fair. When God looks at sin, He does not measure the size of the sin, he measures sin. That's why he says scripture, when all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. He didn't say all have committed the same sin. He said all have sinned. In other words, everybody has rebelled against God and rejected him. And so all have sinned and deserve death. And are guilty. But he also turns around and says, but the gift of God is eternal life, and so all that receive Him are saved. It's not about fairness, because in God's eyes, that white lie you told was just as bad as Sirhan Sirhan, or, or uh, the guy that killed uh, Sharon Tate and all them. Uh, yeah, Charles Manson. And in God's eyes, they're the same. You say, oh man, that's not right. In God's eyes it is. Because God despises all sin. And He sees all sin as rebellion against Him. But He says, it's all rebellious against me and it's all sin, but the same blood will cover all of them. The question is, will you put your faith and trust and enter in to this relationship? Now, it's not that God's not going to hold a, a mass murderer accountable, but they can find salvation just like anybody else can. He, he may make them go to jail. He may make them spend the rest of their life in prison because that's paying man's punishment. But in God's eyes, he said, 
I've been, you've been redeemed. And because you're redeemed, you'll spend it with me. But also, when they're saved, they're supposed to repent and turn from that sin and live for Christ. So it means you change. And that's why I say about today, what the world likes to do, and, 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 and we, we try to do it out of love, but we're, we're really being deceitful, folks, when we tell people, oh, yeah, yeah, you can do this and you can do that. Folks, sin is separating people from God. And we need to be truthful with people and let them know what sins are there and how God looks at it. But also when you do that, you say, but all sin is forgivable if you'll confess and move forward. And so when God saved me, there was lots of things in my life I had to, I had to quit doing. But he forgave every sin I had up to that point. He also had already paid the price for every sin I would commit. But he put me on a path and said, now you start serving me. And we'll work through this and I'm going to carry you through this. And that's why I say a lot of things that the world is accepting today because they don't want to hurt somebody's feelings. It's clear in Scripture it's sin. But we don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. We won't make everybody feel, you know, what would Jesus do? Well, I can tell you what Jesus would do. He confronted sin. But he also loved them, and he gave them a way out. But he had to do exactly what God told him to do. That he would be the sacrifice for that sin, but at the same time, they had to accept that and move forward with that. And so the, we have to grasp reality, folks. A lot of good people are going to go to hell. Because they're unwilling to do it God's way. And, and, and it's sad. I mean, I've got some good friends. If they do not change in their life and, and accept Jesus, they're going to go spend eternity in hell. And folks, they're good people. Some of the finest people I know as far as humans, but they've never accepted Jesus Christ. Now that bothers me because I know what it says. And I bother them because some of them say you preach to me too much. I'm going to preach to some of them until they do something or I die. But I don't want them to go to hell. There's no reason for them to. But sin is separating the world and we've got to accept and we've got to come and we've got to get under the blood just like those Israelites, the, the, the servants of Pharaoh, anybody that entered in. This why I like Cecil B. DeMille, if you remember, when they came to Moses' house and, and uh, his uh, Egyptian mother came, she came in and Moses brought her servants in too. She said, come on. They were spared. That's why there were so many more than just Israelites would get to leave with them because we already seen early, you know, just three plagues ago, the Egyptians just beginning to come home. We're going to bring our flocks in. We don't want to die. We're going, we're going to begin to, we fear this God because there's something. So many of them would be at the point where they would reach out and do what God says. And that's why I'm saying it's out there today. And, and we've got to be ready 
to present that message to them in a way that's loving and caring and reaches out to them and not condemning, yet neither are we giving them false hope. When I do Vicky's funeral, I'm going to tell them where she's at. Because I can. I've had to do some funerals that I just had to be real careful of what I said because I had no idea where they were at. Some of them I didn't know. Some of them I really struggled and I, I hear well-meaning people say, well, they're not, they're not hurting anymore. And I thought, hope you're right. But their lifestyle told me there's a good possibility they may be. Death is not relief to everybody. As a matter of fact, Scripture says there's more that's going to suffer in hell than that will be at peace with God. That few that find that way to heaven. The reality is most people who die, die in fear and trembling because they're not ready for death. And that's exactly what those nurses pick up on down there because people are scared of dying because they're not ready for it. But Vicki was ready for it. She was ready to live or die. Make her any difference. She didn't want to die. She got a great-grandbaby. She just loved and adored. She got grandkids starting families and moving forward. She loved that. She loved you. She loved to be in here. But she was also ready because she knew where she was going. She's at peace. And I don't get a, to do enough of those type funerals, but I can do that with all boldness and and a surety, because I know where she's at, and I know she's at peace. That, and that gives great comfort to Goldie and the girls. But folks, a lot of people are not, and they're just hoping. Anyway, what did that have to do with Moses? It had a lot to do with it because they had to have the faith to enter in to the house and put the blood on the doorpost they had to do exactly what god instructed them to do and we in these latter days have to do exactly what god instructs us to do to be a part that's why i told you i want you to have comfort but i want you to get comfortable i want us to be busy i i don't know when he's coming you can say well why are we doing all this if he's coming this year because I want to be busy about doing whatever God wants. And whatever we can do to impact somebody, we'll be busy. And if he, if, if he waits five or six years, then we're still going to be building. We're still going to be reaching out and doing everything. I'm not going to sit around and wait for the bus. I, I'm the type of person, and it's the way God made me. I, I want, when that trumpet blows, I want to be, just a minute, Lord. <laughs> We got one more thing to do down here. I'm I'm coming, but I want to be busy. Because that's why he's put me on this earth to be busy about the kingdom. That's why he put you here. You've got a purpose to be busy about the kingdom. I don't care how old you are. You've got to be busy about the kingdom. You say, Well, I'm too old, I can't do anything, but 
All I can do is pray. I'm going to tell you like I told an old woman one time. I said, will you stick to the praying because that's the most important thing that you can do. Because while everybody else is busy working, you be praying. And she said, you're right. I said, I know I'm right. The most powerful thing a person can do when they get older is pray for everybody in the church. Because while you're busy out there working, you better be thankful somebody's there praying for you and asking God to protect you and watch over you and help you, the minister. So whatever you're doing, there's something you can do. How many of you over 70 years old are on some type of social media? Raise your hand. Uh, there's a few of you not raising your hand. I know you are. Oh, most of you are under 70. Okay. Some of you just don't know it. Um, can you not reach out to somebody on social media? You can do a lot of things. You can share the good news. You can encourage people. Lift them up. Pray. Encourage other people to do it. Tell them. There's a lot of good stuff out there that on social media from what they tell me. But there's things you can do. You can come up here and be a dishwasher when you get real old like some folks, but what? Lynn, who who am I talking about, Lynn? But there's always something to do. And I want us to be about that, okay? We'll move on next week. We're through with the plagues. We'll probably go right on through the Passover. Y'all know about the Passover. Y'all do know about the Passover, don't you? Everybody pretty comfortable with that? Let, let's, let's get on to the journey. Let's get on the journey of what God's doing, protect them and lead them and, and, and stuff. The pillar of fire and the cloud and His protection and how he grows their faith. See, everybody wants faith, but they don't want to they don't want to get it the way God wants to give it to you. You don't you don't learn faith by sitting around doing nothing. You gotta come face to face with some difficult times to have faith. God, thank you for loving us. Thank you for this wonderful group. Thank you for the church that we we're able to be a part of and to reach out to this community, and may you bless us in the coming days to bear testimony of you and your love. And ask it all in Jesus' name, and all his people said, Amen. God bless you, and have a great week.